Hey folks, this week on the podcast, we've got Mitch Crane. He is going to be a rookie, or I guess a first-year pro. I don't know if they do rookies on the Bass Pro Tour. Anyway, he's going to be on the Bass Pro Tour next year. Qualified from the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit. Mitch is, I think, one of the more interesting guys in pro fishing today. Uh, Just because of his background and his sort of lack of commitment to being a pro angler, uh, if you just look at the amount that he fishes, um, the things he does with the rest of his life, he's not on that, you know, puts thousands of hours on his boat every year kind of path. He's done it a little bit differently, been very successful at it, and is a really cool guy. Uh, he's also really fun to watch fish, because uh, he's usually shallow throwing a topwater and something like that, and it's dope. Uh, but anyhow, we talked a lot about the uh, mental side of fishing, uh, how he prepares, how he is able to overcome not fishing all that much, because uh, he's a dentist, he's got a very real job in addition to being a Bass Pro. Um, so anyway, it's a long show, because Mitch likes to talk, I like to talk, but uh, without further ado, here's Mitch Crane. Alrighty, we are joined now by a man who has one career Phoenix Bass Fishing League win in 2016 on Ross Barnett and also is qualified for the Bass Pro Tour for 2023, uh, Mr. Mississippi, Mitch Crane. Uh, Mitch, congratulations on all your success. (laughs) Thanks, my man. Yeah, I peaked peaked extremely early in my career considering I won my first ever BFL and it's been downhill since on the wins. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you know, wins aren't everything. I think we've established that. Uh, Spencer Shelfield been You're pretty right. good without winning a tournament until fairly recently. So, absolutely, I think that you know it's it's a process, and maybe next year you'll win it a is. couple. Who knows? That's right. Who knows? Yeah, I, I agree. Consistency does mean a lot, especially when you're trying to get your career established. Um, let's before we dive too deep, because you and I talk a lot, like off pod. And we have oh, yeah. some, we have some sort of uh, tangents that we want to go on. But for sure, the immediate thing for you is that you went in just really a few years. Twenty twenty was your first year on the pro circuit. You qualified in twenty nineteen out of the southeastern division. Um, you know, you've gone one, two, three years of pro fishing. Uh, finished top 36 in points every year, seventh this last year. And now you've made the Bass Pro Tour, which is pretty much as pro as it can be. I mean, if <laughs> if you weren't a pro angler before, you are a pro angler now, um, for sure. Uh, despite also being a dentist. So, like, that's right. tell me about this just rapid rise, because it's been really fun. It has been. It's been a ton of fun, Jody. Uh, the Lord's really, really, really blessed me. When this whole ride started, I started fishing the BFLs 2016, and I think my first year I finished like sixth or seventh in points. Uh, and consistently was catching them pretty good in the BFLs, and I can remember about 2008, 2018, uh, telling my wife, Ashley, that, you know, 
I thought I might want to branch out and go uh, go fishing Toyotas. And I went down to Okeechobee and Z-Road in that one and had a terrible finish. And, you know, maybe I thought maybe it wasn't for me. But we found our way in, in 2019, at the end of 2019, when uh, MLF purchased FLW, they were looking for some uh, extra spots to fill. And uh, my buddy, Cody Nichols, who had previously been on uh, the pro circuit, he, uh, I remember he uh, texted me one night and we were eating and he said, did you get an invite to the, uh, the tour? And I said, no, I haven't gotten an invite. He said, man, a lot of people that finished in the top 30 in Toyota points, because I had finished like 25th in points. I was like ninth going into the last tournament at Santee Cooper. I'd never been to Santee Cooper. Uh, found the shad spawn. They kind of left me, and I struggled. But uh, anyway, I said, I don't have an email. And he said, just keep looking for an email. And um, I know I'm rambling, but I found the email in my junk email, and it said that <laughs> there would be an opportunity. Yeah, because I'm not an email guy. Anybody anybody at Major League Fishing knows that if you're going to email me, it's a sketchy situation. You can contact with me. But uh, so it was just kind of a situation where he said, call Bill Taylor if you're interested. So I called Bill Taylor, and he said, you know, we're going to go down the points from 10th on down, and when we get to 24th, if there's a spot available, you need to have a down payment ready. Uh, and this is going to happen on Friday, so uh, on Thursday. And I'm rambling because it's kind of an interesting story. This was on a uh, Friday before, so I contemplated heavily with my wife whether I could do it with my job, whether I could do it with a young child. And my wife said that she thought I should try it. So I was really, really fighting. Thursday came, and Bill told me he called me about 2 in the afternoon. And I had uh, had pretty much talked myself out of it. I uh, I had decided that. Earlier in the day, I had my phone in my pocket and I had it on loud. So if the phone call came, I was ready. And after lunch, I just told myself, you know, maybe this is not for me. And I'll just leave my phone in my office. It'll ring, bill a call. I'll miss the call. I won't get my chance. And I'll just deal with never getting to get my chance. And I'll be fine with that. And I'll never forget it. I got done with a procedure. And I came in my office and my phone, you know, after you miss a call, your phone will glow for a little bit and then it'll go dark. Well, my Mm -hmm. office was pretty dark. I walked in and my phone, it just went dark. And I was like, huh. So I touched it and Bill had just called me. And I was like, man, I missed it. But I felt like at that time, I said, I feel like this might be a mistake. So I called my wife that I'm about to make. So I called my wife real quick. She's like, yes, please sign up. So I called Bill back, had my money ready, and that Bill said my spot was still there. And and I bring that all up. I bring that as a talking point to talk about a lot of guys I feel like this year are going to get their chance in the Toyotas that didn't finish in the top ten in points. Some of these guys are going to get the respect right out of the gate. But don't underestimate some of these guys that are coming up into those invitationals because – there's a whole batch of guys out there that are uh, capable of, of making noise that didn't finish high in the points of the Toyotas. And uh, there's got some guys getting their chance, like I got my chance, and it's going to change some of their lives like it's uh, changed mine for sure. Yeah, I so I think that that's a, 
like interesting point because if you, I mean, we had a, we spent a lot of time on the internet litigating what the best way to qualify to be a pro is <laughs> over the summer. Here. Oh yeah, for sure. uh, as you uh, no doubt saw and have heard, and I am, I really am much more. I'm much more on the side of like, I don't need somebody to fish six or 10 or nine tournaments. Like I don't need, I don't need someone to be ready to be a pro when they start to be a pro. You know, I'm personally like, I I feel like if you're already all, all ready to do it, then I mean, Why do you even need to qualify? (laughs) Like, I kind of feel like you could go and, like, get your chance, and then some people take it and and run with it, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But, like, my first introduction to you was, I think, uh, you know, probably on Sam Rayburn, because you did really good in that first tournament. And I'm, like, pulling up. I'm, like, trying to find this guy. I'm like, is it this dude in this in this bullet? I don't think it has a... I don't think you had a rap then. I'm like, who no, is this, I didn't, I didn't who is this guy? I, like, I've never heard of this dude before. And <laughs> lo and behold, a few years later, you know, you're like cracking out top tens left and right. You're everybody's favorite on tour. Like, this is like a dream scenario. And day one at Rayburn, I'm like, I don't, I don't know who this dude is. <laughs> Jody, man, day one at Rayburn, that's still might be the my favorite moment <clears throat> on tour i mean i had two spots uh, you know rayburn it wise real big you know the left arm is the more popular arm and then you have ash bayou side kind of the middle prong to the right well i had two main spots my big one was my best spot i thought was in a golly not five fingers but the creek right above it that's real what is popular. that uh, uh, is it veach veach basin in Beach Basin, there was a little point of grass, isolated patch of grass that almost flat, and uh, I'd caught them really good there. Not just, I caught like three three casts, two of them were four pounders, and I knew there had to be more there. And man, at like ten o'clock, I had like two fourteen inches or two fifteen inches, and I ran, I ran all the way. I said, "Man, I got to make a decision." I ran all the way to beat. I mean, all the way to Ash Bayou side, and man, it was just magic. I caught like a six and a half, and like two fours and like one ran bait up by a bush and i skipped chatterbait under the bush caught like five pounder and man i caught 20 pounds like it blew my mind and i really think deep down jody that day meant a lot to my career because i'm standing there and i'm like man i know all these guys and when you see guys on tv not that they don't deserve to be on a pedestal but you had them at such a high you hold them in such high accord and such on such a high pedestal that you almost hold them so high that you feel like it's something that is unattainable for you. And when I caught that bag on day one, I'll just never forget when I got off stage, I talked, I think I talked to you maybe. And yeah, probably uh, me or Kyle. I talked to one other guy. Cause I, I thought I might be top five day one. Y'all have top five patterns. And I think I ended up six that day, but I took my interviews <laughs> at the time I was third. And I mean, I'll never forget it. John Cox weighed in in front of me, and I think he had 21. And I'm like, I told my wife, I said, I think I got close to that. She was like, really? I was like, yeah, I mean, I have a pretty good bag. And, man, it gave me such confidence. After we weighed in and after the interviews and I got the boat on the trailer and we were driving to go get some date, I was like, told my wife, I said, 
I can do this. I was like, I was like, I can do this. And I know it seemed like magic happened that day because I didn't think I could catch that. But Jody, like, that's happened 10 times for me since then. Like, the way I practice, I don't know what I'm on. And it just feels like magic. And it just happens. Whether I don't know if that's God's blessing. That's, I mean, it's no doubt it's God's blessing. But, I mean, it just happens, man. And we'll talk about some practice stuff later on in the podcast. But that first day on Rayburn was, like, so important. Because it gave me confidence from the very first day. If I had got destroyed in the first tournament, like I was getting ready to get the next two tournaments after Rayburn, if I had got destroyed, that would have – Man, days like that just do so much for the mental aspect of an angler. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I feel like when you have that just 100% proof and you know it's – like you you know it's got some legitimacy too, right? Like it, it's – you say it was magic, but you didn't say it was like sheer luck or anything like that, right? Like you didn't right. just stop at a point at the end of the day next to the ramp and like catch a 10 pounder like it was a process of it was of learning and of the tournament let you do that right absolutely and you have like you've got it in your heart that you can do this now exactly yeah Yeah. i mean the mental side of it man being able to like process every bite that i will never forget that day that day i had i got up to like 18 pounds and I was like, you know, this is where the type of stuff I'm catching them on. And when I got to 18 pounds, I think I had an hour and a half left. Let's go practice. This is my first day on tour, so let's go practice. I said, I have 18. There's no way that's not going to survive the day. I said, I have two or three other spots here. I've not fished. I said, let's go hit one. First one, pull up two. Boom, caught a four and a half pounder, called two and a half, got me to 20. And I was like, now it didn't happen that way on day two. It was like the total opposite. I struggled. I only caught like nine pounds or eight pounds. Only caught five all day. But I was able to hang in there, and on day three, I caught him a little better, caught 13-something, and I'll never forget that bag line. That's the most nervous I've ever been, no joke, that bag line, where I'm in the middle of the line, and I know I have to make the top 10 to make the final day. And I'm doing the math, and I'm like, I'm going to need like 14 and a quarter, or 14-10, I think is what I needed. And I don't weigh my fish, I never do. And I'm normally very light, not purposely, I just don't judge them well because where I'm from, if you catch one that's 17 inches long, he's not very healthy. So he doesn't weigh a whole lot. But on a good fishery, a 17 incher, he might weigh half a pound more than he does back home. And uh, I'll, that's as nervous I've, as, as I've ever been. And uh, I think I finished 13th or something. I missed the cut. I think Alice Davis knocked, knocked me out, a couple other guys. But it was it was very special for sure. And like I said, he just gave me that confidence that moving forward that you know we can do this. Yeah, you finished 14th. Um, 14th, that's right. And, I mean, 14th, $11,000 check in your first one, which, like, you know, you're in a – I don't want to say, like, you're in a position fishing these where it's not 100% about the money, right? Like, I'm sure the money is good. You're right. But being you're a right. dentist yeah, yeah, is, like, pretty good work, yeah. right? <laughs> it, it does. It does. Yeah, I mean, I know people – I know people say that, not necessarily about me, but you've heard guys talk about, well, that guy is set with sponsorship. He doesn't have to cut the check. Man, if I if I were, were having to sleep in my truck, I don't know that finances would 
dictate anything because I played sports my whole life. Now, I, I don't fish. I fish for top tens. That's what I fish for. I don't fish for a win. I fish for top tens. But I am too competitive to be going out there and not fishing for top for top tens. I'll tell you another quick little story. Uh, after after Rayburn, I believe uh, I, we went to uh, Harris Chain. Maybe was next. Was that yeah. right? Harris. I think it was Harris Chain. Yep. They I caught them really really good in practice day one. I weighed in like I don't know like six or seven pounds. I was in like 150. 150th or 146th after day one. I, I remember calling my dad and said, "My goal. I'm, I know I'm around them. I'm not going to leave them. They just. I just didn't wait them out day one. They didn't buy it early, and I left them. I said, "I'm not leaving all day long. My goal is to get the top hundred. Caught like 14 pounds day two. Got to 88. Then, then came Lake Martin. I was 41st after day one. And because see, I'm still green. That's my problem, Jody. I'm so green on like different bodies of water. I was so naive to think after I caught. 11 something day one at Lake Martin that I could go right back down through that area and get another day out of it. And I couldn't, and I should, I knew the pattern. I should have no, no, I have more experience now. I would never do that now, hopefully, but I did then. And I think I went from 41st to 104th and I'll never forget my team leader. My group leader that year was Jordan Osborne. And he came up to me just to try to give me some encouragement. And I said, uh, Jordan, I don't know if I'll be back. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know if I'll be back or not for the next tournament. And he said, why wouldn't you be? And I said, man, I don't, my competitive makeup, I can't continue to not catch them like I have it in these last two tournaments. I mean, I finished 88th and 103rd, I think. I said, I can't, I can't deal with this. If I'm not going to be up there competing for a top 25, I said, then I just don't need to be here because back home, every, we do fish to win back home every single time. And a win is what I expect back home. And I said, I've not fished enough tournaments to be able to mentally process coming in 88 and saying, hey, that's middle of the pack, you know, or towards the back of the middle. And he was like, dude, he was like, you can't have that expectation. And I'm like, well, that's my expectation, bud. And that's regardless of circumstance. That, that's going to be the expectation. And I just had to learn how to, if that's going to be the expectation, we're going to figure out how to get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you finished 85th at Chickamauga. Now you got paid in that one because it was a super tournament. Yeah, that was a super tournament. Huge field. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I had some I had some mishaps in that one, but I, I, broke a, broke, I broke a big one off on a frog on braid. I ain't never broke one off on a hook set like that and lost a couple of big ones. I was frogging undercut banks where everybody else was on the ledges. That, uh, that's the only tournament I've ever audibly screamed and uh, hollered at myself and fired myself up while running down the river. I'll never forget day two at 1 o'clock. I think I had a weigh-in at 2.30. I had, two, I had three fish, and uh, I was hollering at myself that I need to get right and go ahead and find a way to catch these last two. And, man, I was pumped when I pulled up to my last little undercut area, and I went down through there and caught, like, two, three-pounders or something. And But that tournament meant a lot, too. But did you keep building that confidence. But, yeah, I was I was happy to go to Tennessee River in the summer like that and get a, get a 85th because it was like a 205-boat field there. So that was better than average, better than the middle of the pack for me. Anyway, I was pretty pleased with it. Yeah, no, no doubt. And then, like, Mississippi River, you did good. 
Uh, Lake Erie, you did good. Did you fish for smallmouth at that Erie tournament? What, what were you doing? No, there? I caught all largemouth, all okay. large bait and frog. It would have been the most epic topwater hit video there ever was because I don't know that they had ever seen a buzzbait before. <laughs> and then you fished the title, and you did you know really pretty good in that, and that was all smallmouth, which is that I guess at that point was a pretty new thing for you, right? It was. I had never caught one on drop shot before that tournament. And on day two, I think I caught a mid-24 pound bag of smallies. That's by far and away the biggest bag of smallmouth I've ever caught. I'd never caught any limit of smallmouth before that tournament. But And I was in my buddy's boat, my buddy's ranger, and ha- everybody who made the top ten but one person, and I think Rusty was the only one without live scope. And at the time, I did not know how big of an advantage that was. And Spencer and Evan Barnes, I was eating with them at night. They said, dude, that live scope's worth 30 pounds a day. He said, us, you not having that puts you 30 pounds a day behind at least. And now that, you know, we have it, I'm like, well, no wonder because you just scanned out there and found four or five of them and every one of them you pitched to ate it. But anyway, we survived. I was I was pretty happy with that, that tournament as well. Yeah. That turn so uh, 2020, I told this story plenty of times, but 2020 at Lake Martin, I was – watching spencer and i'd had uh pan optics like the previous version before then right and i was like i don't know if i need to upgrade i got this thing it's kind of cool i use it sometimes and then i'm watching him and i was like oh my god this is like this is not right and so i got back to vermont and i ordered it instantly the pan optics though part of it was who you were watching well i realize that now (laughs) yeah we just didn't know that uh that the, the beast was the woke after twenty came back in twenty twenty. Yeah, like uh, on on the one hand, I'm I, I'm watching a beautiful piece of technology. Now later on in life, I've realized I'm watching like I would say probably the best in the world at it. Definitely like let's say one of the top three to five. You know, like I would not bet against him for sure. Yeah, and <laughs> I was like, oh goodness, and yeah. Then I yeah. spent the whole year, all of twenty twenty, just blowing my mind every time i drop the trolling motor <laughs> that's right but uh gosh so tell me this whole time you know you have been you've been working and fishing and not fishing a whole lot um if we're being honest like that's i right. probably put more hours on my boat this year than you did um right now, granted, yeah, you fished for a lot more money than I did. Um. <laughs> I think I put 60 or 70 hours on my boat this year. And I worry right now because I've not put any stay bill in the tank. I need I need to go. I need to crank it just so the ethanol doesn't build up in it. I've cranked it one day since the title ended, and that was the second week of August. I've, I've been one day in it. My dad and I fished a tournament. And now I'll take that back two days. I fished a pickwick super tournament on no practice. So I fished two days since the title. But that was the end of September. And the second week of October is the last time I fished. So it's been two months. And I can almost promise you uh, that I can almost promise you that I won't crank the boat until I get to uh, Kissimmee in another two months. So it'll be four months since I've been in my boat, probably when BPT season starts. How do you like? How do you do that? 
not only how do you know that everything's going to work, because honestly, if I'm not like using my boat every couple of days, like I get nervous that stuff is going to break when I just haven't used it for a while, if that makes sense. Right. But like, how do you, how do you mentally compete at the level that you are competing at and fish so little? Because I, I know it can be done. I think Andy Morgan is a good example of a guy who doesn't fish a lot and makes it right. happen. But, man, if you look at... Honestly, well, Ron Nelson kind of does fish a lot, but, but he fishes for a lot of weird stuff on and off. But, like, right. there's there are other guys who don't fish just all the time, but that's man, right. Jacob Wheeler fishes freaking all the time. Jordan that's Lee right. fishes a ton. Alex, like, if we're just going to other folks, Alex Davis guy is on the water like every day i mean that's right michael neal doesn't fish a ton but also he fished like 15 tournaments this year and all of them had practice and yada yada and that kind of adds up like what's the what is what's your recipe like how are you pulling this off (laughs) going back to the boat question well when you fish your first year and a half on tour out of a 2002 model bullet with an 05 two-stroke mercury on it with 568 hours on it you you have zero concern that your 2021 model boat will have any issue <laughs> zero <laughs> you're like hey this is a this is a battleship and, i'm ready to yeah. go <laughs> that's right really the only the major thing that could hurt me is if it was a big offshore smallmouth event where i had to have live scope and that didn't work that would really really hurt me or mapping at times if you're offshore a little bit but not necessarily deep and your mapping goes out that would really hurt but man we could make do with the boat but i've never had any kind of issues out of my bullet but but we'll go back to the mental side of things i mean i like a mental challenge too joe i guess along with my competitive side i like things to try to keep me sharp mentally and i guess i've gravitated now that school's over and whatnot I mean, my job keeps me mentally sharp, but in a different type way. But, man, I have somehow figured out how to, with an extensive amount of research, you can get confidence on a body of water that you've literally never been on before. And it starts with live coverage. I mean, live coverage is everything. If I am very, very vulnerable and at times on certain bodies of water, if you take us to a body of water, there's no live coverage of my ability to gain confidence in fishing on that body of water is not as good. Really? Um, and yeah, so when I say live coverage, it has nothing to do with the actual spot. Um, the actual spot, the person is fishing on live. The biggest single question in all of bass fishing is a simple three-letter word, and it's the word why. And to me, the, that's the only thing you ever have to ask is why. Why is this guy catching them here? Why are these bass here? And the system I've come up with to break down the lake is, I guess, just different than how some guys approach it. I know some guys that are, for example, we'll bring him up because he's a good friend of mine. You know him well. Spencer is so talented naturally 
he doesn't do a tremendous amount of research. He likes to not have much information on the body of water. He'll do some basic research, you know, but he likes to just put the boat in and let it, let it flow. And, um, that works for him. Me, I'm the dirt, but he fishes so much that he's really sharp skilled. His skills are all really honed and sharp. Me not getting to fish a lot. I have to watch fishing and research in order to gain that confidence. And going back to the word, why my kind of my breakdown, I'll just kind of give you how I break down the lake. Like we'll go to, you know, a lake. And the first thing you need to understand is where major populations of bass live on these lakes. Because say it's an offshore tournament. Well, we only have two days of practice. I never, I pre-practiced one time. I pre-practiced for Smith Lake last year. I went for one weekend and I actually did fish a bank in the tournament that I, that I actually, that I found in pre-practice, but that's the only time I've ever pre-practiced. So I get two days of practice on a body of water that I've never been to. And it's time to strap it up on a professional level. And so you have to get your confidence mentally as high as you can get it. So you got to know where the main population of bass spawn because that's going to be the key to the rest of the year for those bass. You can go out there on Pickwick and there are so many dead areas on Pickwick that are offshore. And the reason why you look at the place, you're like, they should be here. There's a shell bed down there. It's a good hard current spot where it hits on it just right. Why aren't these bass here? It's probably because they spawn a long ways from where that spot is. If there's not a major population of bass to come to that spot, there's not going to be many there. So you've got to find at least good spawning habitat and say the fish are in transition. You work from the spawning habitat to where they'll end up in the summer and you'll hit them at some point between the spawn and the summer. But it's more than just that. Like when I start researching, like I'm about to start researching for Kissimmee, I will have no confidence at first, but I'll watch some live coverage. I'll watch where the, cause that's the great thing is about live is 90% of the time your guys that caught them are the guys on that are guys that are showing you how to fish on live. Yep. And if you can find where those guys are, it has nothing to do with where they are specific spot wise. But if you can find that, Hey, three of the top 10 were in this general area. That obviously tells you somewhere in this general area, there's a nice population of bass probably at all times during the year. And it's after you research for hours and hours and you go get on Google Earth and you play with all the years, you can go back on Google Earth and you can watch how the grass is weak some years. But you know what? There's still grass in this little area. So on those, say right now, Kissimmee was up some because of the hurricane. I don't think it came up enough to kill a lot of hydrilla, but let's say it did. That hurricane came up, flooded Kissimmee out, not much hydrilla. You go find those years on Google Earth way back 2012, 2015 or something where there's not much grass on Kissimmee. Find where the grass is. Then you mark those areas. That gives you a starting spot. Um, and it's just little things like that. And after you put, I mean, I do most of my research at night after my kids and wife go to bed. From I'm a night owl. I never sleep. My wife and kids go to bed by 10. I go back in the living room. I'll watch live from 2, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And where where once your confidence was nothing on a lake, you've now researched it so much that you feel like you know Lake Kissimmee or Lake Toho. And all of a sudden, you you see, you watch another clip of a local catch some fish on YouTube, and you're like, oh, I know where he is. I don't even have to look at it. I've watched, looked at the map so much, I know where that guy's at. 
And I'm like, I know why he caught them there because they spawn in that back bay. And then there's a shell bed halfway out right there. And there's no doubt that those fish were heading in because they're pre-spawn before they got there because it had just been a cold front to bring those fish up. And next thing you know, you've put that puzzle so complex in your, in your head that you're like, man, I am going to knock their lights out. And I've never <laughs> even been on this body of water before. And it makes no sense. But I can tell you this. Once you can get your, yourself mentally there, and I know I'm rambling. I know I need to come up for air. But once you can get yourself mentally there, go watch Jacob Wheeler fish on a body of water. And you'll realize how why he's special, Jody. Because Jacob, what may take me a long time to get to process, to I can get to the same mental spot Jacob can. Jacob will get there in like 15 minutes. And you're like, that dude just figured this out. And like, why he's fishing in the tournament in like 10 minutes. And I'm, that's what is so special about Jacob and Andy Morgan and Michael Neal. They ain't just going out there and winging it, but they are so intimate with how a bass in general, not necessarily on the body of water they're fishing, just how a bass wants to live his life, that it is second nature to them. It's easy to them. What is a complex thought to your local anger is not complex to them. They can they can get off in there and they'll blow they'll blow my mind, they'll blow your mind, they'll talk off in depth about things. Now some of them, hey, Jordan Lee, you know, Jordan, I don't, I knew Jordan from college fishing. Jordan is kind of like Spencer, the all shucks, yada, yada. But I promise you that dude's sharp as a tack. That dude knows how a bass lives. He knows how a bass wants to, where he wants to eat, what he wants to eat, when he wants to eat. It's so easy to him that he'll all shucks you that, you know, I just ran over here and did that. No, that, that boy's locked in. (laughs) He's locked in. And you know it, you know it too. You're around them. You know it, and but you can get there. You just got to do that same process on every body of water, and I promise you, just like at Rayburn day one, we'll look back to Rayburn day one, and I caught 20 pounds of six. When you get that confidence, man, like right now, my heart rate's up. Like I'm ready to put it in and consume me right now, dude. Like I'm just ready to go. I mean, you can get there so quick. You get pumped about bass fishing, man, I'm just ready. How many hours do you think you put in of like, I guess it's research. Do you put in before practice for each one of these tournaments then? Like what, do you have a ballpark in mind of like how much Uh, TV you watch? (laughs) I will 50, 100 hours. I don't know, Jody. Every night, two or three hours a night. I've got to where I watched all the fish catching on live. Like I've already watched all the, FLW live. I've watched NPFL live. I already watched it all for Kissimmee. I know where they. I mean, I I'll fast forward to the fish catch. Man, I watch. I'll watch it two or three times. Like because here's the thing. It's not like I, I won't be mentally confident from now until the tournament. Like you don't let me. If I don't look at it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, I'll go right back to start to worry a little bit about it. But man, you just got to believe in yourself. That's the thing, man. You got to believe in yourself. You think Jacob Wheeler, Michael Neal cares? Looks like Michael Neal on day three at Rayford this year. He struggled through half the day. You think he cared? Yeah, he cared. He wasn't worried. He he made an adjustment, busted twenty pounds, and then knocked their lights out the last day. That was a mid-tournament adjustment. That you go look at the adjustment he made. 
he made an adjustment from deep to shallow, dude. And like that was that it never gets talked about enough. And it seems like, oh, he made an adjustment. Oh yeah. It's easy to say it. It's extremely hard to do because it's the biggest risk you can make is to get away from what you've been doing to go to an unknown. But you've got to believe in yourself because if you do not believe in yourself, these boys will run you over 100%. That's why when a guy gets hot, Jody, and a guy gets hot and he goes on a run and they say momentum, it is momentum, but it's a belief. It's a belief that when you put that boat in, it doesn't matter. Nick LeBrun, after after uh, he won uh, Gunnersville first, I talked to yep. Nick. They threw a practice. <clears throat> talked to Nick. Nick was out offshore on a big swim bait. He's like, man, I'm going to fish for seven or eight bites a day. I was like, you sticking them? He's like, no, I'm shaking them off. He's like, but I know what bites that thing. That's Nick, supreme confidence. When you can go out there on practice, and you get and you're looking for seven. He's marking a spot because he gets one bite there. He don't he don't care. His confidence was so high, he didn't care. He didn't care. He uh he knew if if one bit that bait, it was it was a big one, and he didn't need to stick it. And that he knew he was there, or he knew others were there. Versus if you're non-confident, you're like, man, I need to stick every other one. Or you're like, oh, that probably wasn't even a big one. You'll talk yourself out of the right move. I also stayed. I stayed by Nick when he won um, James River. We talked every night. Nick was like, "That tree he found." He was like, "I don't know what's there." He's like, "I just go up there and catch like five or six and leave it alone." And if he was supremely confident, Nick would have probably freaked out. Like, man, I've already caught like three limits off this the first three days. There's probably not many there left. There's probably not many left. You know, I may not, maybe I don't need to go run all the way down there, run 50 miles down there to it. No. Nick was so confident by then. Nick said, if they don't want to bite this, I'll figure out what they will bite. Because in his mind, there was 100 bass around that tree because he believed. Like, he could have, he could have thrown, he could have thrown that, he could have skipped that, that uh, wacky rig anywhere. He just skipped it in the road ditch and caught a five pounder. I mean, you just get like that sometimes. And like the ability to harness that. Is, that's the whole key to bass fishing right there is to harness that and to get yourself back there and there are times jody i lose confidence in myself and i know this sound a little prideful and I, I it's really not i know it seems that way i'll go back and watch i'll go back to mississippi river and watch way in where i caught them and i'll i can put myself in that situation again in my head and like right now man i'm like so just talking about bass fishing i'm just whoo i'm ready to go and uh you see that love of bass fishing. I don't get to fish a whole lot. Like I said, I think I think I told you this. I think I fished 38 days this year, or maybe 39, and I think um, 35 of those were on tour. So I fished four or five days this year where I was not, and that's counting practice days and everything. I think I fished four or five days this year where I wasn't uh, practicing for a tour event or fishing a tour event. So um, I know the old saying is time on the water means everything, but – and it is important, but if you, I think if somebody worked on their mental side as much as they worked on their on the water side, that I don't think any great angler doesn't have the mental package to go with that physical tools you learn on the water. Yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent because I think that the the mental side of fishing, I mean, like you don't even hold the rod right. There's, I mean, like, exactly. I've watched, there's so many guys who, 
can fish well, right? Like, Absolutely. you can, there's like Toyota Series guys, there's, you know, Pro Circuit guys, there's Bass Pro Tour, like, you can find 500 dudes in the country right now who can skip that are a jig. Much more skilled. Much can skip a jig pretty good, read their electronics, all that jazz. You know? Yeah. But those 500 dudes most of them are going to do quite a bit worse than you in tournaments. And we've just proven that. Like, like that's not like, I'm not bragging on you. I'm just saying that's the truth. Look at the last three years. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's like, I, I guess what I'm saying is you've got to have that mental side of it. Pinning that down. That or just be unbelievably natural. Yeah. Like Spencer is unbelievably natural. John Cox unbelievably natural like john like and maybe he does research a lot i ain't got to talk to john a lot but john just but he's confident in his bait that's the thing he's confident in his baits man give him that swim jig and give him that wacky rig and he'll go out there to road ditch kick and bring you back 20 he don't <laughs> care yeah he don't have to go so you either have to be unbelievably naturally talented at it because i would say that I'm a I'm a I'm a good angler, but I don't I'm afraid because I don't get to fish that much. I would be a I would be terrified if you told me I could not research any. And when I mean research, I know guys are probably like, yeah, he's messaging guys on Facebook or he's man. We a we can't do that. B when I first got on tour, I was I would legally try to obtain maybe obtain some like that Chickamauga tournament. I had a buddy lived up there, you know. I legally obtained eight or ten deep offshore places that he told me School of Bass would be on. I never even grafted them. Never even <laughs> grafted one of them. And after after two or three tournaments of trying to get legal help, I realized I was like, man, I just can't. I can't try to even catch somebody else's fish. I'm just gonna have to do it my way. And if I don't make it, I don't make it. And once you realize you can do it your way, it's like, man, I don't even try to like know somebody. Like I know some guys that know Kissimmee fairly well. Like. We can't get info, obviously, but I mean, if even if I we could get info, I would never. I don't even try to get info, but I mean, you either have to be really na- anyway. Looping back to your point, we either have to be really naturally talented, or you got to be able to mentally give yourself a false confidence. And it's not false; it's real, man. Like I, I'm ready to go now. I might get my brains beat in in Florida because Florida's just that way. I'm bad hit or miss down there, but I'll at least think I'm going to catch them until they say lines out. That's for sure. Have there been tournaments that you went into them with a full head of steam, full head of confidence, and then between the start of practice and the start of the tournament, you had lost it and, like, had to get yourself back on that horse? Or did everything just kind of go for you? Because, like, you had a really, really good year this last year. Like, there wasn't really a bad tournament in there, so to speak. Uh... I would say, odd as it sounds, man, Pickwick, because the water had come up in practice. They were pulling like eighty or 90,000 uh, CFS. I had one deep spot that I thought I could absolutely crack them on, and I drew boat three day one. So I did going in. When I blasted off, yeah, day one, I was super confident. Um uh, but I knew if that deep spot didn't hit, I would be in trouble. And the deep spot didn't hit. 
And I, I actually approached people think I have tons of time on Pee Week, and I really don't. I've maybe fished 25 days before before the tour event this year. I might have fished 25 days in my life on Pee Week. I've only been on Pee Week two days that weren't for like a BFL. And I knew where I could go catch some fish shallow, but I knew a lot of guys would be there. And uh, so I just said, I said, hey, I'm going to the Alabama side of the bridge. I'm going to do nothing but graph three quarters of practice. And I graphed, man. That's not like me. I'm talking about up in like five or six foot of water just looking for anything because these bass should have been shallow. And I found two little points of grass that were like 30 or 40 yards wide. And I never caught a bass on either one of them. But on day one, my deep spot didn't hit, and I had to go scratch it out. And on day two, I had zero at 10 o'clock. And I went – I just had to go with my gut, and I said, I know that spot should have had fish on it. And – it materialized and I ended up doing okay and getting third in that tournament. But yeah, Pete Weeks probably was the one that I worried the most, the most about. But uh, other than that, man, it went pretty good. Um, I just tried to eliminate the bomb because if you go back and look at my other years, I had some straight up bombs and I, man, I was 90 points out of 10th last year when I finished 36 in points and I finished fourth to last at Okeechobee. Yeah, that was not a good tournament for you. No. And I called them in practice. My females left, and there wasn't nothing but bucks left. But my thing is, and I said, man, if I could have just finished 100 in that tournament, I would have gained 50 points. And then the other one, I think I had, a, I finished 100th on the dot at Potomac, maybe. And I, that's in my wheelhouse. I had no excuse for that. Yeah, you should But I was that. really close to making the top 10 in that one. I mean, in that, that points that year, and I said, you just got to eliminate the bombs. And um, that's the one thing, I guess, this year I was able to just eliminate. And part of it, Jody, is I'm having to get experience trial by fire, I guess. And the Potomac was a big deal because day one I didn't catch them. Day two, I, mean, I fired the computer off that night, and I said, we're going to practice them tomorrow. So no, no matter what, I'm practicing tomorrow. I'm not fishing anywhere I fish today. Because generally, I have a very good practice, generally. I, I don't know what it is. I just generally do. And that's the first tournament I ever blasted off, not knowing what I was going to fish that day. And I I, met, I moved up like 30 or 40 places that day. And that gave me another level of that confidence that I'll talk about. But, no, going back to your question, it was a pretty smooth year this year. Uh, practices went pretty good, you know, and all of them. And... I don't catch many in practice a lot of times, but I, you can get that confidence just from a couple bites. But uh, hopefully that goes to smooth this year in the Bass Pro Tour. How do you like to practice? Because you go in with a ton of research, right? You've probably got some right. areas in mind, but That's you're right. not getting out there to pre-practice these tournaments. You don't get to go right. idle uh, for just a day or two or three with no consequences, right? Like That's you right. have a time you go to practice with a time crunch built in. Like what's your strategy when you get there? I'm going to go shallow. Like of course it can see me, but most of the time I'm going to go shallow unless it's a for sure offshore, like a smallmouth event. But the first thing I'm looking for is I'm looking for a way to get bit. And what I've learned is, you have to learn. You have to learn to cut a place loose really quick and get it and leave it with two days of practice. And I'll give you an example. If you think there's, if you got a 300 yard stretch of bank that's got laydowns on it, 
channel swings up next to it or something like that. And you're like, man, this looks really good. And you're, you're almost halfway down the bank and you've not caught one yet. Well, some people may say, well, oh, maybe they're all, you know, I'll catch two or three between here and the end. But with two days of practice and no pre-practice, I have to, I ask myself this question every single day of practice, Jody. If I ca- how many do I have to catch on the back half of this bank for me to hit it in the tournament? And if I were to go down that whole bank and say I did catch a three-pounder there at the end, I went down a whole 300-yard stretch of bank just for one three-pounder in practice that most likely you're not going to catch one in the tournament. So you have to you have to learn that once you get halfway through a place, A, go fish the best of it first. And if you fish the best of an area that you think is the best first and you don't get bit, then the clock's ticking on you needing to leave. And the faster you can learn to cut a place loose and get on to the next one, the better off you'll be. The next strategy I try to implement is find an easy way to get bit on a big fish bait. I, I don't like, when I say a big fish bait, I'm not talking about a big swim bait, but I'm talking about a better than average style bait, like a buzz bait or a frog or a chatter bait or a swim jig or spinner bait, something like that, where if you get 10 bites, you can conceivably come up with a good bag of fish on 10 bites. Find a way to get bit on one of those baits and find a way that if you have to beat you have to beat out a limit that you can do it in, with your confidence bait. And the instant I find just a little glimmer of a pattern with one of my baits, I instantly stop fishing that pattern because I've established confidence in my mind with it that, Hey, if I don't find the winning stuff, I can fall back on this with supreme confidence. Just like James river. I ran all the way down to that big creek down there 50 miles on day one because I got 40 bites on the buzz bait last day of practice in the first three hours. Well, three hours in, determined on day one, I had two little bitty pound and a halfers, but I had established the pattern of the creeks up the James River close to the takeoff. And at, at 10 o'clock on day one, I ran all the way up there and I caught everything I had. And I knew from the, because I had confidence in the back of my mind of it because I knew because back home, I kind of do a similar pattern. And from there, I ran all the way. I finished third, and and I, lo- I lost the winning fish in that tournament a couple times. But, I mean, once you establish a sprint, you get confidence in a pattern, you can catch them beating the bank or in your wheelhouse, then we're going to look for how you think it's going to be one. Like my opinion in Kissimmee, you got, I mean, at Kissimmee Chain, you got two options. They're going to be in the hydrilla up shallow, spawning. Not a sight fishing deal, just up shallow, or they're going to be on a shell bed. So what I'm probably going to do, I'm going to go to those areas I've already fi- I've already figured out in my mind where those big spawning areas are, like we talked about earlier. I'm going to hit the best spawning areas on Kissimmee, and and I'm going to try to see most of some of Toho in the same day because you get you better see it all on day one, and then you have to make the decision. Okay, it looked better in Toho. It's fishing more my style, so we're going to stay in Toho, and and we've already established on day one our shallow water pattern that i can easily get bit on so you got something to fall back on so what we're doing on day two we're going to go graph find us a shell bed you pull up on that shell bed drag your carolina rig on it catch you a four pounder you're like hold on a second next thing you know you're sitting in the seat you're graphing graphing five or six hours straight you don't even care you're just marking the shell bed go mark you six or eight of them let's look back through them 
you 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 drop your live scope in the water, you see fish all over them. You don't even make a cast. You know what they are. Confidence is building, and you're like, hey, if this doesn't work, I got my fallback stuff up on the bank that I love throwing my frog and my buzz bait on. Confidence is flying high. Next thing you know, you've marked 25 shell beds, and you realize the ones on the east side of the lake are better because your predominant your predominant northwest wind has been blowing on them, and the water's clean. Got the bait stacked up on them. The fish are on the outside grass. Next thing you know, you put it all together, and in your head, you're feeling like a freight train, baby. You can't even sleep the night before the tournament because you think you can go out there and crack 25 pounds, and you ain't been on the lake but two days. And it just comes together like that. It doesn't make any sense. And guys are going to listen to this and be like, this dude's outside his mind. <laughs> but I promise you, if you do it two or three times, you'll, and you'll tell your buddies, you won't, you won't, you won't tell anybody you think you're going to catch them because you really don't know. And there is still a small fear that maybe all this stuff you figured out is not any good. But man, when that, when it goes stomp and it, you catch that first one, that confidence is right there again. And you, your buddies are like you said you wouldn't you didn't know if you were on them or not you called them you're like dude i don't know if i'm on them i've been here two days you can't know you're on them guys who live here don't know they're on them you know until they're in the until they've been weighed and released but man when you learn to do that like it just flows man and and then the more you do it the easier it gets and that's why you look at a guy like jacob wheeler and he can what i what it takes me hours to do it's just like bam 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 and he's just like popping it off fishing stuff, Dustin Connell, after he knows him, after, I mean, don't give a guy like Dustin or Jacob, don't don't let them know they're going to make the championship and let them have five hours left because they'll eat you alive. That's what he did. He, he idled the graph the last five hours at a Malax. Dustin did, just marking them, son. He knew it. He said, it's on. You don't give a guy who's got supreme confidence and knows what he's going to do, don't give him time because he'll eat, you, eat your lunch. Have you been able to practice during a tournament like that before? Uh, I did. I did at uh, I did at uh, James River. Uh, day day three, I practiced. I practiced the creek that John Cox had been going way up in, and I did not know that. I went in there and practiced and caught a couple of good ones on day three in there, and I had no earthly idea he could get all the way out the end of it at that backwater pond. It still haunts me. Because I could have went in there on a high tide and probably crushed them way, 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 way up in there. And it wasn't until the final day that I realized John had been going in there. And I'm like, yeah, that's where the bags have been coming from is up in this creek. But, oh, yeah, I do it all. I, I do it all the time. You have to. There's no way in two days that you have what you – in two days you have enough fish to get a check. Any tournament I've ever finished in the top 20 in, I have practiced a bunch come the end of day two and day three a bunch you have to there's no way man like wheeler he don't have enough like if he goes to pre-practice he might have enough wheeler doesn't have enough after just two days of practice either it's just he's the best in the world at practicing on the fly he don't care he'll do he'll he'll start the day off practicing to save a place and jacob He'll, he'll, he'll not fish his best place and until the final day if he has to. And I know Spencer's similar to that, too. Spencer said told me that he'll, he'll try to hold back as well, and he'll try to practice on day one of the tournament, Jody, with a, with a lot of good waypoints. He'll try yeah. to practice day – I think he mentioned it. He's told me that, podcast. too, yes. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. said the same thing. He, absolutely. And that blew my mind because Spencer and I talk a lot, but we're like night and day on how we fish a lot of times. So it's not like we help each other a ton other than just like what kind of weight we think we need to have. But I'm telling you, man, when a guy 
is so confident in himself that he said, I know I got these places I can catch them, but I'm going to go practice on day one to see if I can learn more. It's the direct opposite of what everybody else is doing. And that's why those guys are special. It's because, A, they have confidence in themselves to do it, and, B, they, they have, they're skilled enough to execute it. And then next thing you know, they got two or three places on day three they've not even hit. Nobody else has hit them either because they're hard to find. And that's when, when, you're, when you're starting on new stuff on day three and day four, that's your winners. Just like John Canada. John Canada at Pickwick. I knew those places he caught those fish. Me and him both fished them in practice. Those bass were not there. John, I saw John day two of the tournament at noon. And he had two fish, Jody, at, at uh, noon. And he, uh, he, he ran over there to me. And he said, you got them? And I think I caught 15 pounds that day. I went to that bar. The day I had to start practicing, I went to that bar with that grass on it, and I caught 15 or 16 pounds that day. And I said, yeah, I got I got 15 or 16 pounds. And he said, are they out on the bars now? Are they finally back up there? Because the high water had took them off the bars. The current was too strong, but the current had come down. The water had come down. He said, are they finally out there on the bars? And I said, they are. And he ran down there to the same place me and him checked in practice, and he caught 20 pounds in 15 minutes and he found me that day and he said thank you I said what you talking about bud he's like i owe you I said, what do you mean you owe me he said you you told me the truth you told me they were on the bars and i knew where they should be so john john found those fish in the middle of the day too that's why he could win off of them if he had hit them day one and caught 20 off of them, those fish would have ran out so you got like like justin lucas prime example he, he practiced day four at pickwick i know the exact place i checked out in practice too they weren't there he fished the exact style stuff John was fishing. Found it on Google Earth. If you know how to find it, you can find it. And uh, John, Justin, Justin practiced on day four, the last day, and he tried to. Re- he almost won. He came in second. So, the the best in the world are practicing every day of almost every day of every event. Did John ever cut you a check after the tournament? Because it feels like I mean he did. He made he pretty told good me money. Dinner, but I can tell you this: I bombed some weights off of him at St. Lawrence and some Ned heads. So there's no doubt that that I got my money back out of him. And he would, if I called him today and told him he owed me some money, he, he'd send me a check. So, he, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't receive any payment. But just uh, I, I don't owe him. He uh, he helped he helped me out with some tackles. So we're we're even. Yeah, I mean, man, tungsten is pretty expensive. So yeah, I'm. You're right. Especially when you especially that. when you drive two and a half hours from Messina to a place that says they have Ned heads and it's. It's like not net heads at all. It's like <laughs> something else. You'll you'll fish with whatever somebody will give you. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. Um, huh? That's uh, it's it's interesting. You know, it's it's interesting to just talk to someone who is has done it as much as you have. Uh right. Did you learn? You you told me to watch Deep Waters. Todd Castledine's right. YouTube series. Did you learn anything exactly. from that? Or was that just like one of the most potent sort of examples you've seen of how you think? Does that make sense? That's it, man. Like I didn't I didn't learn I didn't learn a lot from Castledine's Deep Water series. I messaged him on Facebook. I told him I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen on on uh, the mental side ever. And he's doing one on Gunnersville. And he's working on it, and it's gonna. I don't know how good it's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna be as good as Deep Waters, but how Castledine breaks down what 
and you know, he verbalizes his thoughts so well on how he broke down that lake and how when it clicked, he was like, oh, we're practicing. And like things, just like he, I think he talks about, he found a place to practice, but he never caught one there, but he knew it looked right. And he knew he needed to go back because it, it was right. And I'm like, that's it. That's the key. I, 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 I've sent so many of my buddies that link to that stuff. I'm like, that stuff he's talking about, that's the high-level stuff that a top-end angler like Castledine is, like Wheeler is. That's the stuff that goes through their mind. That's real life. He's not making that stuff up afterwards. That is 100%. I think the same way. I think, And I think most guys do. I think most of those top-end guys – and I do not let – me, let, me let me just uh, clear the air here. I do not consider myself a top-end angler at all. I feel like I'm a middle-of-the-row angler that can mentally get himself to a place where he fishes above his skill level. There was an, uh, there was an old saying, and the man, my dad told me before I, my first day of, at Rayburn on tour, he said, don't be afraid of them, bud. He said, make them afraid of you. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, dang, that's pretty good right there. And the other, the other quote is, uh, hard work outworks talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's the other thing I try to live by. If you'll outwork them and there's two ways to do it. You can do it on the water or you can do it at a computer screen. And I have to do it at a computer screen at night after, after my kids are in my wife's in bed. That's what I have to do. I have to go work hard. I have to work hard mentally because I promise you I haven't fished in two, in, but two days in the last three months or four months or whatever. But to work a chatterbait properly, it's not that difficult. I mean, I might backlash for a little while, but like I can throw it out there in that open water in Kissimmee, and as long as you're you're keeping your mind on the right things, like hey, I need to be in constant contact with this grass. Oh, I don't feel grass here. I need to let it sink down and get back to the grass. Or hey, maybe this is an open area in the grass, and there's hard bottom there. Let me throw a worm out there and drag it and see what it feels like down there. Oh, there he is. Oh, shell bed. And, and it's four pounder and it's a pre-spawn female. And next thing you know, bam, that quick, you're already on the right stuff. Cause you already know it's going to get one shallow on a shell bed or it's going to get one in the grass where they're spawning. And like, man, one bite will tell you everything. I mean, it'll lie to you sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But as long as you've established that shallow water pattern, you can, you can live through a lie. And I learned to eliminate those bombs and turn them into a middle of the row. So like I had a sixty couple of sixties this year and, and like man it made me sick to finish that bad finishing the sixties twice. But I felt like my rookie year that would have been a couple of hundred and something place finishes. And I you know, I learned to survive and I learned to do things like that, but you uh so you fished a few different tournament formats now. With the BPT That's going right. to five next year, are you like do you feel better about that than you would have if it was going to be catch all you can? Or do you think that your system, your style would have worked well for, you know, doing numbers just as well? I think my system definitely fits five fish format, uh, without a doubt. I think a lot of these decent tournaments I've had, I mean, I'm not catching five a day, but I mean, I'm catching maybe, I like to be in that 10 to 15 number. 
because especially when they were zero in the weight, you don't want to catch many more than that anyway. Yeah. Because once you get what you need to, you need to get off of them anyway. But when the every fish format, I was going to have to, I think it changes how, I was going to have to change how I practice because it seems the area is way more important in every fish than the spot. Uh, in five fish, if you have the spot, the big females that pulled up to, then you don't need to catch for five or six. Versus in every fish, you might catch 25 pounds, a 25-pound bag, but you're 15 pounds behind the cut because everybody else ran up there and caught them really shallow, and they were all like two to two and a half, three-pounders. Um, I'll give you one example where I went too harsh and it's up there on up there by your home pond on Champlain. I tried too hard to catch big ones. I fished too deep because that's where I thought I needed to be. When in reality, I'm starting to learn in a smallmouth derby. Go out there and live scope you about 30 of them out in that mid range. You know, because in my mind, I was like, yeah, the big ones will be out there in 30. No, should have went to the outer grass edge in like 17 or 18. And if you catch 30 on Champlain, you're, you're gonna going catch to catch. Ones you're going to catch some big ones. And that, see, that click, that's what I've learned since the season's been over, is when I go north, I'm fishing for numbers now, and you just let the odds play out. That's that's what I'll, even, even at, say, it, even like St. Clair, Cayuga, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be catching as many as I can catch. I won't be frogging up under a dock or anything like that. I'll be catching as many as I can catch because you might catch five pounder where you just caught a two and a quarter. And that's what's different about up north. And I'm I'm learning that. So I've already put that in my memory bank for next season. All right. That's a that's probably a good thing to, to slot in there. And I think I mean next year, if you look at the schedule, right, there's I mean, are there any tournaments that don't have at least one or two live events that you can go watch? Like, I don't think there are. No, you know, nowadays there's there's not really been been one. James River was really the only one that didn't. But man, that was too much my style for me to worry. I, I yeah. And when I say I knew I should do well there, it has like I said, it has nothing to do with how I think I am as an angler. I think a better term is I expect to do well there. Like I expect my expectation out of myself and that body of water is top 10 because it's going to get done doing things. I'm good. I, I consider I like doing it's going to get, it's going to get one doing things I like doing. And the one that scares me other than Florida, which I think everybody should be scared of Florida, even the guys who live there, because you know, well, as I do, it doesn't take much to mess everything up in Florida. Um, Cherokee worries me. So really, because it does, it, it might be a scope and it's probably, it's probably going to be a scoping event. I do have the open. I can go look at from last year right around the same time. So I will learn a lot. I'll learn a lot off that. And, uh, if I can get through Cherokee and Florida, uh, then I'll feel pretty good about the rest of the year. Now Wheeler won that one back in the day. And yeah, but it was like super cold. Like yeah, they were like was it was like super cold, which it could be when we were there. But I, um, if I can get through those, I'll breathe a sigh of relief. It, you know, and I and I tell you this, what I found the ones I worry about the most are generally the ones I do really good at. And I don't know why, but I mean the ones I'm terrified of, like Murray. I can't wait to get to Murray. 
like I'll probably do terrible because I can't wait to get there. But man, I cannot wait to get to Murray. <laughs> don't we fish? Don't we fish? I don't even know, Joe. We fish Murray this year. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure you do. And you've know. been yeah, to Murray before, do. so like that's yeah, I, yeah. You go to Murray. It was a really fun time. Yeah, I, I didn't. I tell you this, that was I, I didn't adjust good enough at Murray. I was on them. I finished like twenty fourth, I think, at Murray. I was on them better than that though, and they were leaving me. I was in the middle of the creeks. They were leaving, coming out, and I didn't adjust well enough. And I'll tell you who I watched adjust well enough was Michael Neal because I watched where he was on day one, and I was a little further out than Michael. Well, on day three, when I'm fishing, I don't see Michael as far as back. He's out there at the outside, crushes them. And I had called them when they were in the middle coming through my area, and they got, got worse. And I, I took it as I caught them all. I had not caught them all. They had moved on out, and Michael, being that upper echelon angler he is, he figured that out and smashed them the last two or three, last two days of that tournament. So no you, you have to learn from others. If you don't learn from others, you're holding yourself, or from a bad tournament, you're holding yourself back. Don't be too – I don't have any pride. I'll ask – I won't ask anybody anything. But I'll watch and I'll learn from the man fishing on the bank after the tournament's over if I need to. I promise you. I'll learn from anywhere I can glean information from. Yeah. But you so, got to know why, Jody. Go back to, going back to that question, why, you have to know why that dude did – why those fish were there is because the spawning's good in the back of that creek. That's why that creek's really good. There's a lot of good spawning habitat back there. So you might want to fish that one in pr- first day of practice because you got a lot of good population lives in this creek. Well, it all comes back to spawning. They don't swim from 30 miles down the lake to go up in that creek because they like the way the rocks look. No, they spawn in there and they live in there their whole life. They go in and out. And, and then, then the ledges on the outside of that creek, you know what? Those are the best ones. You know why? Because they come from the back of that creek right out there to that ledge. <laughs> that same ledge out there in front of Seabold that they get crashed on all the time. You know why it's good? It's because Seabold's a great spawning creek. So much good habitat back there, and they don't have to do anything but go back there and work their way back out. So same reason why same places are always good. Just that easy. That's right. Do you know what the rules are for that Cherokee tournament? Because the the first, the qualifying oh. round is on Cherokee. Then they go to You're Douglas right. for the knockout. Yeah. Do you exactly. know, are you allowed to practice on Douglas, like, during the tournament? I have no idea, tournament? but I promise you. Or? I have, I have, well, I don't know. If they only give us two days and there's no practicing during the tournament on your off day over there, I probably won't even see Douglas. And you'll see a pure practice day out of me okay if you, if you don't yeah. get to douglas if you don't get to douglas it doesn't do much good than be on them on douglas <laughs> that's a great point especially when the, <laughs> you know especially when the final day regardless is on Cherokee. Yeah, like if like, i ran up there and grabbed a bunch and had all these you know brush tops on douglas in like five or six to eight foot of water where they're setting up to go up there on the bank and i had like 20 or 30 of them marked and i could just scope over in there and never even make a cast on them you know like that'd be different but you know, it'll be interesting. I can't wait to fish that tournament just to see if, you know, it's weird. Like, you'll you'll get to eventually where you kind of like those practice days because you're, like, really challenging yourself. You're like, man, this is going to be awesome. Let's just see what, what we can do. You just got to accept the challenge because it's a challenge fishing against these guys every time. No doubt. No doubt. Um, all right. We are kind of 
we've gone long, which is what I expected, yeah. what I wanted. But I want to hit. I want to do a couple of maybe more quick hitter things because I think that we've yeah. talked about a lot of the theory of bass fishing, according to Mitch. Like we've we've gone pretty That's in right. depth on that. Um, <laughs> which is probably not worth the words I spoke. But anyway, somebody listen out there. Oh no, the, the people love it, and if they don't, don't tell me about it. Uh, That's right. But you are, I feel like there hasn't been a, t- I'm sure you've made a top 10 without a buzz bait before, but it seems like a lot of times when you make a top 10, you got a buzz bait in the mix. Um, and I noticed in the top 10 baits on James River, the tails on your horny toads, on your buzz baits, were like, it looked like maybe they were trimmed off. Or maybe the fish just pulled them off, but it kind of looked like you trimmed them off. Yeah. And then, uh, and then also you were throwing a toad and a skirt, which I feel like is a little bit of a, not a entirely unheard of thing, but like, can you educate me a little on the ways of a buzz bait? Because there is probably not a bait that I have less confidence in than a buzz bait. Right. Well, you're quite observant because I do cut my feet on my horny toes um i you know i hold the rod different and you know that I, i'm not a big big wristed fella and that buzz bait it's three eight pounds but once you put a horny toad horny toad on it you know that thing weighs probably three quarter you know i don't know close to five eighths of an ounce and i feel when you leave your horny toad feet like they're J shaped, you know, they come down and they hook up sharply towards the middle of the body. When you leave that fit, that those feet on there to kick back and forth, I can feel the drag of those feet in my reel. When I'm reeling that in, I can it makes it it's not real fast reeling. I mean, I can make it go fast, but it it puts a lot of effort in. You have to put a lot of effort in to make that buzz bait go fast. And I learned that if you'll cut just the J shape off of it man, that buzz bait will come through that water silky smooth fast because I can promise you he's not running up there to eat that toad because that little foot's kicking. He's coming. He's coming up there because he sees a big meal coming. And if I can leave that skirt on there, that's just a little bit bigger. That bait that bait appears. Plus, man, I'm cheap. Why would I want to buy? As I throw a Nichols Reflex 95% of the time. Why would I want to buy one and then rip rip a great looking skirt off that thing when i can just put a toad on there and cut the feed on it because i won't man i really my buzz bait fast the majority of the time because i don't want him to get too good of a look at it i just don't i'm there to burn the bank cover the water and the faster i can reel my buzz bait going down through there the better off i'll be because i want that thing tight to cover and you want to surprise him when it comes over his head so Cut the feet on your buzz bait, I mean, on your horny toad, and the bait, the bait will flow through the water so much better. And that's the whole that's the whole trick with it. Like, throw it out there a few times, because if I forget the first cast, I'll throw it out there. I'm like, good grief, this thing is, it makes the buzz bait sit down in the water lower. And, hey, if they're missing your buzz bait, maybe, but I throw a trailer hook 90% of the time anyway. He don't miss a big bait like that very often, not what's coming to eat it anyway. Makes but sense. you're right. Um, let's see. So, back on, I guess, staying on the buzz bait, you a lot of times throw, you throw white and you throw black. And I've seen, like, this has been a theme of you, yours across 
a couple of tournaments. I feel like I I, I don't I, I feel like you're versatile on your color choices. What's right. your theory on that? Well, back home, pretty much white is what you throw because our water's muddy and black work. Black would work. My tournament partner throws black a lot, uh, but. Man, well, I'm trying to imitate his shad back home, so I just have supreme confidence in white. The only reason why I threw black, I threw black at James River, because once the tide had come out, the water clarity went from like a foot to like two and a half to three feet, and I just felt like it was a little too clear for the white. They will just they don't get it as deep. They were just kind of slapping at it. So you go to the black. And for some reason, even though black shows that really good muddy water, black is also, I mean, if you a clear water fish that's in the sun all the time, he's gonna be he's gonna be really dark colored. So you know, you just go with the you go with the black in a clear water situation. And um, now I'll go with white. Say we're at Pitwick in the fall, and the grass is three feet under the surface, and you're trying to call them from three to five feet deep down. I'll stay with white. Because I want that gaudy, bright color. Because if you slip, if you throw black, you know he might not find it. He'll find that white. It's too bright. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and then may so I'm not gonna press you on the buzz bait thing anymore. I don't know that I'll ever. I, I might not ever ever be a guy who catches fish on a buzz bait. One of these years, maybe. But um, <laughs> I like to you know occasionally like try to pick up a tip or two. That's um, right. How good do you think Spencer Shuffield is going to be next year? Because uh, I think you're going to do well. I am a Mitch Crane believer. But I think both <laughs> I you and I that. are a little higher on Spencer than average. Uh, yeah. Definitely a little him. higher than Marty Stone <laughs> is. And so I want to get I want to get you on record here. Like, what what's our expectations? Uh, I think if it had been left, Every fish counts. There, I think Spencer would have won an event next year, and I don't think there's any way he wouldn't have finished top ten. And I would have been real surprised if he wouldn't have finished top five. It's hard to say. It's hard to say anything about a true competition for a comp- competing for the AOI because you look at Wheeler, man. He finished worse than like eleventh or like fifteenth or something in any event. So to say anybody's going to compete with that level. For challenging for a title is tough, but man, he's he has no reason to fear anybody. Even I mean, I've I've never seen anybody like him. All my friends on tour are excellent fishermen, but he's he's two or three. He has two or three years more than I do, and it's natural. It's that's what's scary about it. I can't research any more than I research. I could get better if I fished more, I believe. I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm topped out by any stretch on how good I could be. But man, Spencer, he's he's unbelievable. You've seen it. You know you've let him fish some bodies of water up there around you and some things he did on those bodies of water the first two or three days he's ever been there in his whole life. You've seen it. Oh yeah. He's not so I'm gonna say so he's not can real. I answer your question? He's unreal, yeah. I'm gonna to answer your question. Um, I don't think there's any way. Well, n- th- he's going to make Red Crest. We'll put the house on that. Um, not to put any pressure on him, but I think anything less than a top 10 finish in points to him would be looked at as a disappointment. I'll just say, say it like that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think you're wrong, man. 
And I think that if it was catch every fish. It's nothing, it's nothing against the Bass Pro Tour guys at all because they're all unbelievable legends. I have the utmost respect for those guys. It is no disrespect to those guys at all. But I just know coming from the pro circuit, I know a lot of the guys in the top ten last year that fished in points, and he is far and away the best non-BPT guy that was in the pro circuit. I mean, he finished second his first year back, Jody. If he did not bomb day two at St. Lawrence, he topped ten his second year, and then this year he finished third to Michael Neal and Justin Lucas. And Spencer had a, an extreme subpar tournament for him at, at uh, James River, or he wins AOI against Michael Neal, which is the real deal, by the way. And just look at, like, the last few years. It, depend If you – and big Dakota Eber fan here, right? Absolutely. But Me too. Spencer has pretty clearly, I would say – been better than Dakota almost every time they've fished against each other. Not every time, but most of the times. And that's yeah. saying, like, that's well, kind of saying, saying a lot because Dakota's like incredible. Like coming in fifth and coming in like 15th because Dakota is unreal as well. <laughs> yeah. And Dakota made the top 10 in points. He was like just crushing people in the second half of the season. Like, I don't, yeah, I'm I don't proud, see any reason to expect to less than that from Spencer. I agree. I agree totally. And I think, I think people didn't know Dakota, but I think Dakota put the BPT guys and the world on notice that there's some guys, there's some dudes, as to use a term that's uh, talked about nowadays, there's some dudes in the pro circuit. What's a successful year for you? Like, what are your expectations? Like, what do you, what are you thinking? Because this is, like, kind of, you're going to be fishing more tournaments than you have in years past. Right. And you're fishing them at a higher level. Like you're kind of, I don't want to say you're at a point where you should stop being a dentist, but like you're at a (laughs) kind of a career crossroads kind of point right now. Right. Right. Uh, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Jody. My my expectation of myself is top 10 points. That's my expectation. I don't know if, I don't know if it's attainable with the level, the caliber of competition, but that's my expectation. Because if my expectation, and I had to learn this, if my expectation is to make red crest, then I'll fish to make red crest. Expectation is to make the top ten in points. It pushes me harder in practice. It because where you might find fifteen pounds a day. You know, you're like, well, that's not good enough. That's good enough for 50th. And at one time, I would have been pumped about the possibility of getting a check. But now you have to learn that that's your fallback pattern, that you've got to find more. You've got to find more. And top, so top 10, man, I have to put that top 10, that top 10 number as my goal. And if I'm points at the end of the year, will I look back and say that was a disappointment? Absolutely not. Now, I would not have reached my goal, and I'll have a better taste in my mouth about it, but top ten, man. My goal my goal is to be – I'll say this. My goal is to be the highest-ranked pro circuit guy for the new year in points. That includes being a bow spencer. And I know that is ultra lofty, 
And the only way I can compete with Spencer on a body of water is in a five-fish format. There is no doubt about it. But they, <laughs> the, the rule change gave me that opportunity because I'm like a bad day away from fishing. I was third in points when I launched my boat day two at, at Champlain. I was third in points. Had some dead fish problems, and it knocked me back to a tie for six. Because if you look, the difference in six and third is, or six and fourth is like ten points or something. It's, it's like really tight. Or yeah. seventh and fourth is like ten points. So, I mean, so top ten. You know, I know especially some quick hitter stuff. I'm sorry. No, no, you're you're good. I, I, uh, I, I think that was that was perfect. Um, I guess the last one, and then I'll let you go. What are, what is your nickname situation? Because we've got folks calling you Doc. We just put a post up where it's the dentist. Do you want a nickname? Do you feel like, I mean, here's my thing. I think the Mississippi muscle for Grant was like, Grant oh, Galloway. that's perfect. It's the greatest nickname of all time. I do. But absolutely, he needs to catch him better. <laughs> and so you're right. I don't. I, I don't know. Do we do we need a nickname for you? Are you do you like one? Do you not like one? I always thought like I know dentists like I guess you're a doctor, right? But also right. I feel like a dentist is kind of a little bit different from a doctor. Like that's two seems like two separate right. fields. What what's our vibe? It's funny you brought it up, Jody. Like it's really cool that you brought that up because I do not let people call me doctor outside of my office. I just, because it's not, it's not my personality at all of your average dentist. Like I'm not the normal personality for, so I don't mind being called doc, but if I could get away from it, I would be more than happy to get away from that term. <laughs> because but you might have just I, because I you might have just made it yeah, stuck think, though. That's the sometimes that's the problem. You can't yeah. be r- trying to run away from a nickname. Then you, it just gets worse and worse, right? Yeah, you're right. A nickname is something you don't give yourself. So I've never I'll be honest with you, I've never had a nickname my whole life and at certain times in my life I thought it would be cool to have a nickname. So now that I do have the dot, you know there's a there's a thought process when anybody finds out somebody is a doctor and it's not always positive. So it has its positive and negatives, you know, but if we get away from it, that's fine. If we don't, then we'll go with it. It's not, I don't know that it's necessarily a name that I could uh, market really, really well, but I mean, I'm not trying to market myself anyhow, like I should be anyway. So we'll stick with that if we need to. And if another one comes, it'll be, that'll be good too. All right. Well, I guess we'll see, and I do think that, you know, what are we, we're going into this thing with a three-year-old bullet right now, like, the same rap for three years, like, we've got, or four, or however many years, like, I, I, I agree with marketing, could take a step up, but. Yeah, I, I did, I'll be honest with you, I did make a semi-resume this year, and uh, I sent some emails out, it's probably a little too late in the game, and, uh. I don't have any paying sponsors and any really any discounts on anything at all other than just like some guys, some companies that I really would be interested in working with did show some interest in the future. And uh, I think that kind of means just keep catching them and maybe you'll get a phone call one day. So we'll see. I'm not pushing it. I'm not pressing it because, man, I 
pretty much work. I work two full time. I mean, pretty much work two jobs. It's not like I have a lot of time to be traveling to shows and stuff like that. So I don't really want to get in a big commitment with somebody, but like, I mean, if anybody's out there and they just want to, you know, throw down some discount on some rods and reels, you know, I'm willing to listen because I'm still paying full price for everything. And I will tell you one fun fact, I guarantee you, I have the poorest collection. I have great rods. Don't get me wrong. Guy builds my rods here in town. They're great rods, but I bet I don't have 10 or 12 tournaments tournament quality rods and that's probably all i go to battle with but i don't fish many baits it's 40. like man I, I guarantee you there's not 10 or 12 and like some of them have like the ceramic eye missing my frog rod i mean not my frog my buzzbait rod it ain't got a ceramic eye in the middle of like the third eye down i've been, I, I rode it all year with the eye just bare on the inside you know how you were talking about how you've never broken a fish off on braid i think i might have figured out why you did just why that happened <laughs> oh yeah there you go yeah uh, it was weird it was weird man i don't know it might have been a big grinnel i never saw it but i think it could have been a big grinnel and they like cut me when i when i keyed him all right well the but, main key what's your relationship with dr bubba's kitchen going forward is that dr. still in bubba's place kitchen. yeah that's still on there man it's a buddy of mine from in canada he fished the uh he fished the toyotas until covid came and it kind of messed him up but uh Alex Jalev, uh, he's a dentist in Canada, and we drew, and we drew each other in a Toyota series on Santee Cooper, and we've just kind of been friends ever since. So that's why half of it is like a Canadian flag, yep. is because he's a dentist in Canada, and we're kind of joined in friendship through dentistry and fishing. So he's doing really good too. He's fishing in the local scene up there because COVID's kind of shutting down on traveling a whole lot out of Canada. But uh, no, man, me and me and Bubba's kitchen. I used to call. I, I would tell him Bubba. I would say Bubba after every sentence. So he calls me Doctor Bubba. So <laughs> Doctor Bubba's kitchen is still flying, flying proud, and uh, it, it'll stay on there. That blows off. He made. He custom made that for me. He's like, man, I made you something, and he sent it to me, and he spent a lot of time on it, and I appreciated him doing it, and uh, I put it on there, and. Uh, I need to talk to Dr. Bubba's Kitchen. I hadn't hollered at him in a while, by the way, so I'm glad you reminded me of that. All right. Well, I'd say, you know, next time you got a little car ride, give him a call. And uh, That's right. Mitch, it's uh, been a pleasure. And if you've got – I don't know. I don't think you've got any social media, but if you've got anything you want to plug, nah. well, now's the time. <laughs> My wife uh, started a Mitch Crane fishing page. Hold on one second, Jenny. B- Bella Crane. That's the dad again. <laughs> Oh, you're good. Layer that comes from that yes, ma'am. Awesome. Oh, Thank you. Uh-huh. I'm picking my oldest up from school. I thought we were going to nail it. Like, I'm like five cars from picking her up. The teacher interrupted me. I'm sorry. But my wife started a fishing page, Mitch Crane Fishing, but I don't even know that there's any friends on it yet. Uh, man, Jody, part of me would like to do a lot of social media because I feel like, even though I'm a doctor, I feel like on a fishing level, I kind of want to be like the people's champ, you know, like I want to be the guy who doesn't get to fish a lot that just figures out how to do it and can relate to anybody, you know, like I think that's one thing that is really good about fishing is I think anglers do a really good job of trying to relate to everybody because man, like, you know, these guys, some of these guys are making big, big money, but we're not making baseball money you know, or football money or anything where, where you totally lose, where you totally lose touch with reality. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to get social media going, man, because I think I have a lot of head knowledge I'd like to talk about that maybe people could learn from. But maybe in the future we'll get that fired up. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. And I do think that you are, man, you are proof that, like, anyone can do it, right? You were fishing out of an old boat when you started. You don't get the time on the water. Like, if there is ever someone who thinks to themselves, man, there's no way I could ever do this. Well, I mean, granted, you don't think like that. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, you the the puzzle pieces didn't just sort of fall out and create Mitch Crane Bass Pro That's right. Pro, you know? Yes, you sir. had to put you put it together a unique way that sort of shows there's a lot of paths. That's that's right, exactly. And I, I'd like to be able to like relate to folks on that level. No, I yeah, mean, she hold can come on, on the podcast. <laughs> oh, hey, we say hey to Mr. Jody. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Yes. Tell him you've been signing some frogs. I've been signing some frogs. Awesome, like a whole box full now. Yes, sir. How many ever daddy needs me to sign? <laughs> but yeah, we're going, Mr. Jody. That takes pictures of you on Daddy's Fisherman. She she said she got strawberry kiwi sucker because she didn't get in trouble all week at school. So that's our highlight of the afternoon. There we go. Sorry about that. I tried. I tried to get this done before we got to this point, but I had to get it. <laughs> Mitch, here's the thing: you knew that life. we were hey, going to talk that's a real lot. Life, son. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you knew it. You knew it was coming. But like, I hope some people get some like, like, I just hope people can listen to me and how my experience has been on tour, and can realize that even though these guys catch them, that you can get there too in your own way, not necessarily my way. That's just how I do it. Everybody has to have their own way. Like everybody thinks they need to like, like quit their job and fish and fish and fish. And I think if you want to learn how to work a frog better, if you want to learn how to throw a chatterbait better, how to skip docks better, if you want to learn how to drop shot better, I think that is very important. But, you do not have to be on the water to learn how to get better at finding a bass. I can promise you that because I'm having to do it every year where I'm on these going to these bodies of water that I've never been on. And it is doable. And that's just the main thing. If people can get confidence in themselves, the power of the mind is unbelievable. And you have to trick yourself but it has to be a genuine belief that you can do it, and that just sums that just sums it all up. It doesn't matter, and when you have that confidence in yourself, it doesn't matter who you're fishing against. You'll think you're going to catch them. I don't care who I fish against because that doesn't matter. All that matters is what's going on in my mind and what I produce. I like it. Well, Mitch, it's uh, always a pleasure. I'll get you. I'll let you get back to real life now. But uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking as long as you did. Anytime, my man. Anytime you need some filler, you know, all you got to do is give me a topic. We can talk a while on it. All righty. Well, I know I'll see you a little less next year, but I'll see you at a few of the invitationals, I think. Yeah, that's a bad situation. uh, Or I hope, anyhow. And uh, (laughs) it's going to – 
I think it's going to be a really good year for you. I got high hopes. Uh, thank you, man. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, the challenge, and I uh, can't wait to get the year started.